So I've, I've recently read about a new book that's, I, I guess, out in the last couple of years. It's called Selfie. The subtitle of the book, Selfie, is how we became so self-obsessed and what it's doing to us. And, and in this book, well, I haven't read it. I've just read a few articles about the book. In this book, the author presents the case in the last several decades, the, the self-help, self-esteem movement uh, that began a long time ago has, has developed over the course of the years into uh, what the author says is narcissism and how we have these narcissistic tendencies in our culture, particularly in, in America, that is destroying us. It's funny, in, in the book actually, he uses, I guess is what a well-known poem for, for, for some of these self-esteem movement folks. He uses it to kind of poke fun of it, fun at, and I want to share it with you, just to begin, set the stage for uh, what we're going to talk about. Here's the poem. It's just short. Day or night, it's always true. The kingdom lives inside you. When you say these words three times in a row, I'm lovable, I'm lovable, I'm lovable, your lovable self will magically grow. I thought I'd get more laughs. (laughs) But it's not... Actually, it's good that I didn't get too many laughs because... It's scary. Psalm 51 will help us this morning. Because there's a big difference in thinking that you're lovable versus the idea that you're worth being loved. It's a big difference. It's one thing to say that you are lovable It's another thing to say that you have value and you need to be loved. You see the difference? One, I think, sounds really sweet. Dangerously harmful. The other's a little bit more understanding of reality. Psalm 51 this morning, familiar song, psalm to many of you. We're going to look at it, and as we look at it, we're going to look deep within our hearts, and we're going to see something very disturbing, at least ought to be disturbing, and yet come out of it with the potential of being more alive, more secure, with much more joy than you ever thought imaginable. Let's look at Psalm 51 together. I'm going to read the heading. sets the context for this psalm. You're familiar with it. Psalm 51, it says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. If you don't know that story, we'll talk about it throughout the sermon. Here's God's word. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. 
Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You would not be pleased with a burnt offering. For the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. For a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, in whole offerings, and then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can look deep within our hearts And even as we look deep within our own hearts, confess what's there, you meet us and bring us the joy of your salvation. Do that this morning for all your people. Drive us to the cross. Help us to see our great need. Help us to see how you have delivered us from our need. In Christ's name, amen. So I, I I don't have time for a rigid analysis of this psalm. We can't go verse by verse. And and I I think it's something that you can do on your own and something that you could do on your own. But what I want to do this morning is enter into David's world. I, I want us to see what he sees, what he sees in his own heart, because it's a reflection of all of our hearts. Not to wallow there, not to say, woe is me. But after looking deep within our own hearts to be utterly amazed at what God can and will do. To do that, I want us to cover three things. I I want us to cover first the terrible reality of sin. And, And I do understand that in our world today, sin is not a very popular term, but I don't really know another way to describe it accurately. We, I, could, I could try to come in the back door and say the terrible reality of your predicament, but I would eventually get to sin. So we're going to talk about the terrible reality of sin, that we all have a part to play. Secondly, I want us to see, after we understand the terrible predicament of our sin, I, I want us to see how God delivers us from it. And then lastly, what we are delivered to. It's joy. Uh, in the midst of a difficult world. So, first of all, let's look at uh, terrible reality. David heaps up words here to describe his situation, his life, right? He uses transgressions, he uses sin, he uses iniquity, and evil. Those Those are tough words. Transgression carries with it the idea of crossing a boundary. It, it contains with it this idea of rebellion or traitor. So, he's saying, I'm a traitor, Sin, 
It just means there's a standard of uh, moral activity, standard of ethical morality, and sin is falling short of that standard. Iniquity carries with it the idea of guilt that is deserving of punishment. And then lastly, evil. I think the simplest way to think of evil is if you are a transgressor, if you sin, if your heart is full of iniquity, then whether you want to admit it or not, there's evil going to come from you. David is not hiding in Psalm 51. He's not avoiding reality. He's not saying, I'm lovable, I'm lovable, I'm lovable. He is acutely aware that he is not only in the wrong, but he is, there's something wrong with him. And we know from the heading, we read it, we know from other parts of the Bible what David has done to bring him to this place. If you go back this afternoon and you read 2 Samuel 11 and 2 Samuel 12, you'll see exactly what happened. See, before 2 Samuel 11, what happens to David? He's delivered from his personal enemies. God has come to him and made him king over all Israel, the whole land. Not only that, but in 2 Samuel 7, God has come to David and and given the great promise of salvation to David that he's going to bless him and his family forever, that, that the Messiah will come from his family line. He's had all these promises, the blessings from God. And then a little bit later, his men go off to war. And David decides to stay back. And as he's staying back and his men go off to war, David is relaxing. He sees a beautiful woman. Her name is Bathsheba. Finds out that she's a married woman. Nonetheless, the the Hebrew in 2 Samuel 11 is, is pretty intense. He goes and takes her. He commits adultery. They conceive a child. David seeks to hide his sin from other people. And in the process of trying to hide this sin, he ends up killing a very honorable man, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Transgression, sin, iniquity, evil. He's aware of the specific sin, not simply this general idea of sin Not simply this general idea of doing bad, but he's very aware that it's more more than just what he's done in murder and adultery. It's more than that. It is who he is. This is the inescapable aspect of the human condition. He says in verse 5, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. It's not that his mother did anything wrong by by giving birth to him. It's that when he was born, he was a sinner and he couldn't help it. Sin is a condition of our being, whether we acknowledge it or not. And that sinful being leads us to all sorts of sinful actions. So you may be thinking, well, I haven't done exactly what David has done, right? And I, and I thought about this. I hope you think I'm a good guy. I, I think I'm a good guy. I, I, I like my wife. She's a good girl. I know a lot of you all, right? You guys are good people. If I don't know you, I'll take you to lunch, and I bet I can find something good about you. Is that not right? Just like David. 
You know what happens when we just stop here on this superficial surface level, when we, when we disregard what's deep down inside our own hearts? We start looking at life in a very superficial, shallow way, and we do certain things. You want to know some of the things we do? We carry around, remember, this is the idea here. We're living in a serious predicament, a problem of sin. What we do with that, you know what we do? We carry around this burden of pretense. And I, and I like this. When I talk about pretense, I'm not talking about hypocrisy, right? Hypocrisy is oh, having a certain standard, a high standard, and you not meeting up to that standard. That, that's a hypocrite. You know what the alternative to that is? Just set real low standards. There's something to be said about hypocrisy. At least you've got some high standards. But we're not talking about hypocrisy here. We're talking about pretense. And this is what David does after he sins with Bathsheba and she gets pregnant. You know what he does? He puts his best foot forward and hides from the world his real inner poverty of being a sinner. That's what he does. You see, there's not a man or a woman here who dares to be just what he or she is without doctoring up that impression. Isn't that not true? Do, do you really want people to know what's deep down inside your heart? I'll speak for myself, no. Burden of pretense that weighs heavy on us, even as we try to fix things. Not only that, but we become fake and artificial. There's a big emphasis among young people, and it's really not as much young people anymore. You guys are getting older. This emphasis on authenticity. You realize we wouldn't be emphasizing authenticity if we didn't know that we really weren't that authentic. But this idea of we are living in secret fear that we will be careless or by chance someone might peep into our poor empty souls and we will be undone. And there's not a human being that I have met, including myself, that doesn't carry around these things because we're all struggling with the predicament of sin and being sinners. Both these ideas, this pretense, this artificiality, it flows from our self-love, it flows from our pride, and it eats away at our souls, and it's all about the reality of sin. We all are dealing with it. You do realize that David experienced this burden of pretense, this fakeness, for at least nine months. Have you ever thought about that? David commits adultery, a baby is conceived, he murders Uriah, and it's not until the baby is come that the prophet Nathan confronts David with his sin. And in those nine months, you know what David is doing? At least nine months, it could have been longer. But you know what David's doing in that time? He's pretending. He's fake. He's living a lie. And David says in verse 8 that his bones were broken. Not literally. But the strength of his body, when the structure's been crushed, the life is crippled and helpless. And this is the misery of sin. It's the misery of our sinful condition. It bears down us. It overwhelms us. We try to blame other people, but it's not other people's fault. We're the problem, and the problem resides between us and the one who's created us. I do, want to, I do want us to make sure that we understand in verse 4, David writes, Against you, God, you only have I sinned. Do you see that? Now, I imagine when Bathsheba read this psalm, she said, uh-uh. 
If Uriah had some parents living at the time and they found out what David did, they would have said, "Uh uh-uh. Yet if we do not come to grips with what David is saying here, we'll never understand the depth of our problem. Because think about this, when you just think sin is against somebody else, somebody close to you, somebody right beside you, you can always find excuses when we sin against them. Just to be quite honest, sometimes they deserve it. Right? Josie tells me all the time, I better turn this around. I tell Josie all the time, yeah, I better turn Honey, if you wouldn't have done that to me, I wouldn't have done that to you. You hear it in our conversations about other people. It's unfortunate that so-and-so got a divorce. Of course, if I were married to him or her, I would have got a divorce too. Here, I'll use me as another example. It's sad that Todd has a bad temper and he takes it out on his kids. But you know, if his kids were better, Todd would be nice. It's easy to justify our sin, isn't it? The fact of the matter is we despise God and His Word long before we sin against other people. And until we begin to recognize that sin is first and foremost a transgression against God, we will never have the capacity to deal with our sin. If we're the ones that are determining what is right and wrong, leaving God out of the picture, we can justify anything. All you have to do is watch the news. It's God's burning holiness that makes sin, sin. It's not simply unfortunate. It's not simply sad. It's evil. And we're all in this boat without being delivered. And I just want to bear down, and I don't... Listen, this may... I guess some of you, if you know me, you know I'm not a mean guy, I don't think, on the surface. This may sound mean to some of you. I think it's much more evil and mean and wicked to give you the impression that if all you do is tell yourself enough that you're lovable, you'll become lovable. I think that's wicked. It's not true. What we need to hear is the truth. What we need to hear is that, yes, we are worth being loved, but there's nothing lovable in us, and we need to be delivered so that we can be lovable. It's a predicament of sin, and we're all there. Every one of us. We do see how David is delivered. If you read 2 Samuel 12, this is the second point. How are we delivered? Nathan, God's prophet, brings God's word, begins by telling David a story. And I want to tell you the story because I think the story is very important. There's a rich man. The rich man has an abundance of lambs and cows and goats. He has everything that he could possibly need. There's another man. He's poor. He has a little family. He has little children, little children like we saw up here. And he has one lamb. It's all he's got. And that little lamb becomes a family pet. And one day, the rich man gets a visitor. And back in the old days, uh, when you had a visitor come visit you, you gave him a big feast. So the rich man, instead of going out to his, his vast amount of lambs, he goes to the poor man. He takes the poor man's pet. And he kills the lamb. And they have a party. And then David... When he hears this from Nathan, David's sense of justice is aroused, rightly so. And David says, this man deserves to die. 
And Nathan says, you are that man. It's, that, it's at that moment, after that story about the little lamb, David understands that he's got to have God's mercy. And he cries out and he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me, cleanse me, purge me. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. David has no excuses. He has nothing to offer. He is simply broken. David, first of all, knows that he needs to be cleansed. This is, this is a request for forgiveness, but he doesn't use the word forgiveness because he wants to be very precise. He, he knows that his sins need to be blotted out. They need, he needs to be cleansed. He needs to be purged. What he's asking God to do is take away his sins so they no longer exist. Annihilate his sins. We'd say today, nuke the sins. Not only that, David needs something more. He needs to be restored. He needs to be renewed. So he asked God to create in him a new heart. It's a divine operation. Make him alive again. He says, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Listen, if you're a Christian here this morning, David is not afraid of losing his salvation. He wants to experience what he already has. He wants to feel the joy of being clean again. If you're not a Christian, this is what you were created for. We need to be delivered, and only God can do that. David is saying the same thing here that Paul says later on in the New Testament when he says, who can deliver me from this body of death? And he says, thanks be to God. This is the gospel. This is the good news. The Old Testament saints, they knew about their need for new hearts. They knew about their need to be cleansed. It was through the sacrificial system. They knew they needed a substitute. So for us today in the church of Jesus Christ, how much better is it to be alive and to be broken beautifully like this? Because the the author of Hebrews says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we now have confidence to enter into the holy place. In other words, we now have confidence to enter into the presence of God and not be afraid because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He is the new and living way. He is the great high priest over the house of God. We can draw near with a true heart. Why? Because of our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Our bodies have been washed with pure water. This is the prayer of David. How much more is it ours today? This is what it means to be beautifully broken. It's to look down deep inside of our hearts and see something, nothing pretty at all. And to know that God loves us so much that he makes us pretty. Humbled yet lifted up by God's grace as we look to the cross of Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Deliverance. I want to say this. Isn't it interesting that it's a story of a little lamb who is a friend to children who dies so that David's eyes can be opened? We saw these little children here professing their faith. And they're professing their faith We believe because they've seen the Lamb of God who is their friend who dies so that they can be made clean. Have you seen the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? What does that deliverance do? Third point. What happens when we see the depth of our sin, when we gaze and we look at God's work for us in Christ? 
as he cleanses, as he washes, as he purges, as he creates and renews and restores. Verse 13, I will teach transgressors God's ways and sinners will return. Look, David is saying, and I just want to make the gospel very simple this morning. Here's the gospel. I am a sinner just like you. Let me tell you what God can do. That's the gospel. That's what David is praying. He's looked into his heart. He's seen the evil that resides there. He knows that his sins need to be cleaned. God cleanses him and he says, I'm a sinner just like you. Let me tell you what God can do. We don't wallow in our sin. We see the beauty of God saving us from it and seeing the beauty of God's work. Verses 14 and 15 Our tongues will sing aloud of your salvation. Our mouths will declare your praise. It's not that formal worship is not important. It's not that the sacrifices weren't important. It's that the worship we give comes from a broken spirit. Because a broken and contrite heart, God will not despise. Lastly, this doesn't just affect us as individuals. It benefits all the people of God. When When David speaks of the the walls of Jerusalem being built up in verses 18 and 19. What he's talking about is God's people growing together, acknowledging the fact that they are sinners, that, they're more, that, that, that they don't have to pretend anymore, that they don't have to be fake anymore, that they can acknowledge their sin because they know that their sin has been wiped clean and they have been delivered. So they're growing together and loving together as, as restored sinners. And the world sees something different. The joy of God's salvation working in us. Listen, I don't, I don't know where each of you as individuals are right now at this moment. Maybe you need to be broken. can look back at times in my life where I have been broken and I never want to be broke like that again. But I can say that it's, it, it was good as I look back. Maybe you need to be broken. Maybe God is breaking you. Maybe you're in the midst of that breaking and you're crying out like David saying, I want to see and taste the joy of your salvation. Keep crying out to God. Keep looking to him. Come to the table. God promises to work. Psalm 51 is the life of the Christian. More alive, more secure, with more joy in the midst of hardship than we ever could have imagined. It's because the whole work of God in redemption is to undo the effects of sin. And he brings us back into a right and eternal relationship with him. You're not lovable. I'm not lovable. God makes us lovable. And there's nothing better when God does that work. I'm going to conclude with a quote from A.W. Tozer. We must all put away our defenses, make no attempt to excuse ourselves before the Lord, Because defenseless before the Lord, we will have for our defender no less than God himself. Because God is the one who delivers us. So even as God's word came to David so many centuries ago through Nathan, so God's word comes to us through David and his word.
Let's pray. Father, we just take up this psalm. And we pray with David that you would have mercy on us according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, would you blot out our transgressions? Let us hear joy and gladness this morning. Let the bones that you have broken, would they rejoice? Would you create in us a clean heart, renew a right spirit within us? Would you restore unto us the joy of your salvation? Remind us of that even this morning because as we leave these doors, then we we promise to go out and teach transgressors your ways. Our tongues will sing aloud of your righteousness and our mouths will declare your praise. We ask that you would do good to us, your people, as we offer up our lives to you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.